uh, I just that was my lowest point was was just really being so pilled out that my life was controlled by them and I was suicidal and homicidal and just like living in this weird world mentally you know that was completely foreign to me and I didn't want to live it and I got to that point where I was like I've got to make a change here uh, or I'm going to kill myself because I thought about it quite a bit and because of like the symptoms that you were just sick of or because of like yeah 100 percent. you know when you when you become somebody you're not you know and you're uh you're just uh not who you were and you're a nuisance and you feel a burden you feel like you're a burden to those you that you love and you're around you know your family your wife your friends your kids everything just starts to go away from you because nobody wants to be around you this is kyle turley and you're listening to heads and tails podcast where the helmets fly Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. This week I'm really excited to bring Kyle Turley, uh, who's a former all-pro NFL offensive lineman who played eight seasons in the league. Uh, Kyle was selected seventh overall by the New Orleans Saints in the 1998 NFL Draft out of San Diego State. And Kyle played five seasons for the New Orleans Saints and a year with the St. Louis Rams before a serious back injury sidelined him for the 2004 and 2005 seasons. He returned to football in 2006 as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs where he spent the last two years of his career before announcing his retirement in December of 2007. Since retirement, Kyle has focused his efforts in advocating for retired NFL players and is also an advocate for cannabis use. Um, and most recently, he started coaching football at Riverside City College. And I'm really excited to interview Kyle because I remember when I first started this podcast, Kyle was like, I don't know, I remember coming across something on, you know, online about your story. I was like, dude, this is exactly the guy that I want to talk about. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really uh, interested to have appreciate you share your story. It. It's yes. good to be here. Thanks. Be so, with you. You want to move that table over here? You can um, set that down on it. No, this is cool. Okay. Yeah, I won't be able to see if it's far away. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, no, I can bring it over here if you wanted to. No, it's it's good. Alrighty. Um. All right. So, Kyle, when did you start playing football? <laughs> um. You know, I I started playing football at a young age in the park. You know, I mean, football where I grew up. Uh, you know, I grew up in Utah when I was young, uh, in real rural t- rural towns. Okay. Um. And so there wasn't an organized football. There was no tackle football leagues. There's you could you have only enough people around to have one team if you had one, right? Enough to fill that. So you know, football became a part of my life early on. As uh, my dad was a football player, um, he was a quarterback uh, out of Arizona, Paradise Valley High School, and. Uh, Got a full scholarship to uh, Brigham Young University to play quarterback. Um, and so he was a football player. Okay. Um, you know, so football was introduced to me at a young age. But uh, where we lived really dictated my participation in it. Um, and so I wasn't able to participate, you know, in tackle football until I moved to Southern California um, when I was 10. Uh, Why'd you guys move? Um, uh, we were – my dad was a farmer and um, – a truck driver on the side of that. Uh, well, a truck driver first and got into farming. He was a cattleman. He's, you know, just a uh, uh, 
red-blooded, you know, uh, American, American, American cowboy, man, yeah. you know, modern cowboy. My dad is, uh, he sits on the couch and watches old Westerns all day long. You oh, know? Okay. His <laughs> idols are John Wayne and, you know, Clint Eastwood. So, um, you know, just a, a tough guy and, um, a hardworking guy. And, and we were farmers, uh, and, and, you know, just, uh, blue collar people. And, uh, the farm went bad. So, uh, went south. So we went south. My mom's from Southern California. Gotcha. And uh, so we came down here when I was 10. They meet at school? Uh, yeah, at BYU. Yeah, okay. both of my folks did. And uh, so, you know, that um, we have five kids in my family. Uh, I'm one of three boys and uh, two girls, um, second oldest. And uh, when we got to Southern California when I was 10, now now's the opportunity to, you know, have the money to participate or not money, but uh, ability to participate. We didn't have the money. <laughs> so, right. you know, we lost everything up in the farm. And, uh, you know, that's what we were one of those stories. And so, you know, we moved down here in a, in a uh, car that our my grandpa, my dad's dad gave us and five kids, you know, and that was what we had. And, you know, had to go, my dad had to go back and, and get a, uh, a truck to bring our, you know, little bits of furniture that we owned, uh, you know, down right. here. And so that's uh, a struggle too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, uh, so anyways, got to Southern California, uh, and had the opportunities, but no money. And these leagues cost, you know, you got to pay up a hundred bucks, this, that, and the other right. to, uh, you know, be a part of that to get the gear and, and all that stuff costs even more, you know, so financially even, uh, it wasn't an option, you know, I never had that opportunity and, um, uh, to play f tackle football, but I always played football in the parks and everything else with the boys and at school when we have flag football and PE and all that. And I always said, you know, uh, look back and I had, uh, coaches that always told me, that you could play in the NFL one day, even when I was young, you know, it was kind of weird. I'm like, what are you telling me that for? Yeah, like, yeah, what they, I'm like, in eighth grade. You're telling me, man, you can might be able to play in the NFL one day. What you do know? you think they saw in you that <laughs> made him say that? I just natural at it. I love the sport. Uh, it, it was just something that uh, I'd never had to think about. It was, right. there's a ball, go get it. Or, you know, push people around and, and it goes that way and this way, you right. know, it's simple. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a simple guy. So it was perfect for me to get out all that aggression and, you know, um, uh, all of that. But it got us, it, it got away from me when I had the opportunities to do it in high school because, uh, first off, I didn't make the grades. Um, I didn't have a 2.0. I wasn't a good student. I never have been. I'm an art, art major in college, but you know, so that's my side of the brain. So academics wasn't, uh, um, you know, uh, priority in my life. And then my family started falling apart, divorced the whole deal, you know, like many of us. And, uh, uh, so, you know, nobody watching, nobody cares. And I just got into skateboarding and surfing and I played sports. So I always made sure I got my grades up in the fall so I could play, so I could wrestle. Um, yeah, you're a very good wrestler, right? All yeah. State. Started wrestling at in seventh grade. You know, that was a program my dad could get me into, uh, that didn't cost, uh, more, you know, not a lot of equipment. Not a lot, yeah, yeah. You know? And, uh, so and in seventh grade, my dad came to me and said, Kyle, I think you'd be a good wrestler. You might want to try that, you know? You, and, uh, uh, that's a sport you can get into a good program, uh, at this high school I heard about over here and, um, uh, see if, see how you like that. And so, you know, that was that. And I loved it. Uh, was, you know, seventh grade started and all through high school, uh, but my freshman year, I just didn't get a 2.0, and uh, so I couldn't play football. Otherwise, I would have. 
I would have went out for the team my freshman year of high gotcha. school. And that just set me on a path uh, to not really worry about football. And because I got into skateboarding and surfing, I started hooking up with the surfers more. And I was a beach guy. I loved the beach always. My mom's from California. So when we were little, we'd always come to California and see my grandparents, aunts and uncles. And we were at the beach and it was just like football. You know, it's natural for me to be at the beach. You right. know, I feel attached to the water. You know, it's right. something it's that... Like you're- it's just something about it where it's this magnetic attachment, you know, just like football is for me. And, uh, as soon as I decided to play and and I had one last opportunity in uh, my senior year coming up as a junior and my dad came to me again and said, Kyle, you know, you got one more year, you know, I thought, I always thought you'd be a great football player and, you know, I think you should try it, you know? And, uh, and that was it. (laughs) You you tried it out. So it's interesting that you have all these things outside of football and like it took you so long to actually start playing that you kind of had identities outside of the game at Mm -hmm. an early age like before you even started so I think that's something that's cool that maybe we'll talk a little bit further down the road yeah um so when you first started playing football like what was the learning curve you know like you 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 said you played like flag and pickup games like Mm. phys ed and stuff but like yeah you just naturally start you know, smacking guys and getting yeah, and getting after pretty it. much. Yeah. You know, I was born for it. You know, it's, you're either. I think that there's just some intangibles with certain individuals that speak to the game of football. You know, and that's what I look for as a coach and okay. as a recruiter. You know, somebody who's trying to gauge talent. Uh, there are intangibles, and you either got it right out the gate, or you, you don't. And it's gonna be hard for you to learn that because the sport is so violent. And I think what prepared me more than anything was wrestling. And, you know, I knew how to handle my body. I knew uh, – because I didn't just not play football because of surfing and skateboarding. We, my high school was stacked. I mean, we had ballers and guys that were massive. And I was a skinny surfer, skater kid that wrestled, you know, uh, tall and long and lean. And, and these guys on the football team were massive. You know, they were right. lifting all the weight. Our coach was awesome at my high school, rest his soul. And he just had the whole program before any of this stuff that's going on. We were doing CrossFit. We were doing all this stuff. Like, I look at this stuff today and I'm like, oh, big deal. Like, what the CrossFit game? I'm like, that's high school. That was, I started doing that in high school as a junior. Wow. To get ready for my Those football. Kind of stuff, yeah. yeah, the same stuff. I'm like, that's not hard. Like, what's the big deal? And, uh, I got into CrossFit after, uh, I yeah, couldn't yeah, play football I, anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I do it too, you know, but it's not something that's new to me. Right. It's something yeah. that I started when I was, you know, in 1993, 92, you know. Right. Um, and you say that you like your coach had that kind of style of training? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was a real advanced uh, as far as understanding how to build guys up physically right. and, and what it took to do that. Um, and so our team was massive. And so I didn't play football, not just because of service skate point. It was like, jeez, I don't want to get hit by these guys. <laughs> right. Like, no way, man. <laughs> Um, and I saw the injuries and stuff too. Guys are, you know, having surgeries and all that. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know about that right now, man. Uh, you know? And, uh, but I wrestled, I kept wrestling and then, uh, I got bigger and, uh, stronger and felt more confident, uh, that I could handle these bigger guys, you know, um, and defend myself out there. Um, so you gave a crack at it, huh? Yeah. Got out there, man. And my, my, Lucked into my wrestling coach was the D-line coach, and they put me on the D-line and said, go get the ball. We need you to go get the ball. 
And so that's what I did. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, they told me just make sure your your jersey shows up on the film every play around the ball, and you're going to get scholarship. You know, you know, you can. I mean, first practice, it was right. You know, just immediate. I think like this has come up a bunch on the podcast with like football guys. Is like sometimes when you play the game for a long time, you get to like the upper echelons of the game, you start thinking too much. You know, it becomes too much like schematics and technique and this and that. But like like you said, like guy who never played football ever you know just yeah. get after it and get the guy with the ball and like i feel like when you get away from that simplicity you know you oh you yeah become like not as good of a player you're not gonna reach your potential and you don't become as good of a team you know i mean look at the patriots and what's the secret behind that is you got 11 dudes believing that they can do it and just do your job get it done inch by inch down by down and the outcome is going to be the outcome, but you got to keep going and believe in it. And some of these coaches just think they can outthink the game. Right. You know, and you just really can't do and that. Effort is really the. Yeah, it always, key, yeah. as my coaches always told me, it's always stayed true. Uh, going back to the basics will always trump trying to do something, you know, you know, flashy or, you know, out the box. Right. So you also played baseball growing up too, right? You're a good baseball player. Yeah, yeah, good baseball player. How did that kind of help you in football, maybe, or did it not at all? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, not really. You know, baseball's such a, a fun sport to, to just uh, hang out. Right. It's a hangout sport. You know, more like surfing. Yeah, you're just like hanging out <laughs> in the dugout with your boys, and you know, chewing right. seeds, talking shit, and you know, and you're just like, ah, oh, it's my turn. Oh, let's go up there and let's take a swing at it. Yeah. You know, like, what, what position did you play? In First base, uh, backup, backup pitcher. Only when you need me to try to close something out uh, <laughs> and hope I don't hit anybody, you know, and walk yeah. the bases loaded. Um, but uh, and a hitter, you know, I was good at. You could know, always swing it. Yeah, I could hit the ball pretty well. So you know, that was fun. I I I wonder where I could have gone with baseball. Um, you know, personally, as I was good at that. I okay. was really good at baseball. Cool. So, obviously, you, you had a successful senior season uh, in high school, which – so, like, what what did you do that got the attention of San Diego State? Uh, again, I just followed my, the lead of my coaches. They said, make sure your jersey's around the ball every down, and they see you hustling and you're never walking. Uh, they put me on defense and just said, get the ball, and I made a lot of tackles, uh, a lot of sacks. I had a lot of sacks, you know. I, I made all league in, you know, my high school – you know, my one year of high school football, I was first team all league. Um, you know, I made the all-star team. I mean, I'm coaching back at uh, RCC now, and uh, – uh, it was really weird because I had forgot, you know, football, uh, TBI, right? <laughs> and I had forgot that I played in that stadium. And and uh, and I was walking through the locker room uh, to go grab uh, something out of there, the training room. And I was like, uh, I went in there and I went, and then I stopped and went to use the bathroom. And I walked through the locker room and it was like this weird fog, like just like you walk through a veil type, time warp <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa. I was here. Oh my God. You know what I mean? You have them, right? Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And I started looking around and I turned after I got done and was walking out. I'm like this total full flashback, you know? And yeah. I was like, I was here. That's right. I played my all-star game here at this stadium. Like, no way. It was like yeah. this whole moment, you know? The realization. Yeah. It's all full, yeah. coming full circle. Yeah. You know? So, um, it, it was just, uh, 
I was fortunate. I stayed healthy. I had great mentors, great coaches, and they knew how to unleash me. You know, some people have that intangibility where you can put them on a football field and just unleash them. You think it's like more mentality? Like you said, like football players are different. Like you need to be. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Okay. Yeah. You, you have to be confident. Right. And I was, I was confident in myself that I could do this. Um, from wrestling, maybe? From or? wrestling. 100% yeah. from wrestling. And just the, the love for football. Like, as soon as I got out on the field, it was like, like the beach. Like, we talk about the ocean. It's like this magnet. And it's like, I know I'm standing where I belong, you know? Right. Like, there, it was putting the helmet on, the pads on, and everything. And, you know, uh, walking out on the practice field for the first day and knowing this is where I'm supposed to be. Right. You, you know? feel whole, yeah. Yeah, you know, so it was just natural. Really you know, cool, get yeah. your hand in the dirt, get off the ball. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. running around crazy, go get the ball, yep. you know. Uh, again, I had great coaches. They didn't try to pigeon me into, you're an offensive lineman, blah, blah, blah. And then that, yeah, bled into college, you know, when I had the opportunity. But, uh, you know, all these scouts, they saw, uh, you know, potential at the end of the day what scouts are looking for out of high school kids is potential because we're high school kids you know you go back to high school right now and where you're at you go i was like that jeez right like <laughs> i thought so highly of myself <laughs> you know like i was, thought i was such a baller and like look at these guys right. you know what i mean you look at it now as you're older and stronger and bigger and you know uh, more mature and you go back and you're like I was a little geek. Like, what did they see in me to give me a full ride scholarship? You know, right. other than that, here's potential. You know, and that's what I look at. You know, when I when I look at kids, uh, uh, you know, gauge their their where they're at with football is because the, even into the NFL, you're still not your best it's until you've got into there right. a couple years. It's potential for you, like size, strength, or like football IQ, like what what or all of it, really, yeah. um, but more so attitude and and willingness to learn. You know, okay. potential is coachability. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, because that's what you're trying to. I mean, you you see the natural ability, and I, I'm coaching a bunch of kids right now, and I, they got a lot of natural ability. But it, where coaches get frustrated and know that it's going to come back to bite you as you move up the ladder is in that drive, determination, and and mentality. And so I think more than anything, they saw in me a kid who was just unbelievably, um, you know, driven and wanting this. You right. know, they want to see that. And, you know, I tell kids today, I'm like, you know, you sit there and you say, hey, take a knee and you get bring up the kids and you talk to them. And uh, you try to explain to them, like, the little things. I had one uh, try to give a teaching moment to this uh, high school that I was uh, uh, helping do some coaching at just recently. Uh, before I went to, to RCC and um, going out every week, two, twice a week, to training these kids, putting them through programs and um, speed work, footwork, getting them to be better athletes, you know, type of stuff and not really focusing on uh, football, like except for certain positions and blocking and stuff like that, but uh, more teaching agility and the importance of understanding how to use your body and stuff and, and language and, and action and being purposeful with all of your movements. Um, and the last lesson I gave them before I uh, left there was, you know, having them just sit and listen to me talk. And, 
and watching the kids all distract, you know, and squirrel. Yeah. yeah you know, high school girls, squirrels, whatever, <laughs> you know, and, um, everything else and trying to really instill in these guys that this is the hardest thing that you're going to have to learn. If you want to progress is that you have to be coachable. The coaches need to see that you are listening to them. Um, and that your attention is forward and not distracted uh, because that's what kills games. That's what loses games is distractions. Right. And, um, you Missing know, your assignments, yeah, yeah. I've been on the front side and the back side of that. But, uh, but just trying to explain to these kids, like, you know, like coaches want to see you with your eyes forward. You know, they want to see you listening to them they, because they're employers. And employers want to see people looking for jobs. And if you're not looking at them, then they don't know if you're looking for a job and they don't believe that you are. Right. Because if you were, then you'd be glued onto that coach, listening to what he says and telling him and responding to him, yes, sir. And, you know, and, and really grasping what it is he's trying to help you with and understanding that. When you sit around and you look around and you look fade off and look over here and all the birds and the girls and <laughs> whatever, you know, that proves to a coach like, like even if you have all the talent in the world, you know, so it's, it's everything. It's a whole, uh, the whole package, you know, but they, they saw all that in me and my ability to do whatever it takes, you know, and are you, are you willing to play this position? Whatever it takes, sir. I'm, you know, I'm here to play football. I, I just started, you know, right. even if I played four years in high school or pop Warner too, you know, you go to the college level, it's like, wherever you need me, man, uh, you gave me a scholarship. Let's just play. Cool. It's a good, good mentality. Yeah. Uh, so when you're at San Diego State, when did you make the transition and why to the offensive line? Um, I redshirted. I came in Marshall Fox last year. Powerful team, you know, for a WAC school, and uh, that was a conference we were in at, uh, that, at that time. And um, they were playing by, you know, Marshall Falk. I mean, he was running over everybody, Miami and UCLA and SC and all these Cal and everything, and just crushing the country uh, on every team that they played. And um, so it was – I redshirted. I, I, I didn't want to. I thought I could come in and help immediately on defense. They brought me in as a – Outside linebacker defensive end, I was 235 when I reported. Um, and, you know, fast, lean, ready to go. You know, I was ready to try to earn a job. And they just, they, they, I think they knew that it was their last year. I think that coaching staff knew that. And they didn't, and the head coach really liked me a lot. Um, and I don't, I don't, looking back on it, I think that they, you know, just knew, let's not, let's not, risk Kyle right now he needs to continue to grow and and let's figure out you know for sure what position he is because this kid has the opportunity to go you know so they redshirted me and so I had scout team and I was rookie anyway so whether I was redshirting or not I've been running scout team right and um offense and defense you know it's running on cards and so you get your block and do this you know and I didn't know anything about offensive line just showed the line and the you know, blocking the a, the E, you know, block right. the E or the T, you know, and I, and, uh, and do that, you know, and this is where the ball's going. Okay. I can figure that out. You know, I had to block this and stay in front of the guy. So the ball can go that way. And, um, you know, over that time period of red shirting, just in, uh, you know, the first month, uh, had the head coach and the O-line coach come to me and say, Kyle, you could be a great defensive lineman. And, you might make to the, you'll likely make it to an NFL playing defensive line. I was a freshman in college. And I was like, hearing that, yeah. I was like, dang, man, you know, this is awesome. You know, the, the coaches are saying that to me. They said, but 
but we've watched you, and we think that you could be probably one of the greatest offensive linemen to ever play college football. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> okay, all right. I don't know. You know, that was, offense is difficult, playing, playing uh, especially offensive line, uh, coming from a defensive line. I mean, you feel so caged. Right. You feel so vulnerable. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, you know, like I have to back up while this guy's running forward and trying to run through me. You know, how do I do this? You know, and so. But you can't it, grab. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, you know, all these rules and stuff. It, uh, and you just feel so confined. And I didn't, I didn't like that. You know, it wasn't something I really liked, but I was good at it. And, um, and so then that coaching staff got fired after Marshall declared for the draft, they fired Luganville and his whole staff. And so I was really lost at that time. Um, didn't know what, what was going to happen and what I was going to do. Um, but the new coaching staff came in and I just let it all unfold and they had a team meeting and they said, you know, introduce the whole coaching staff in the team meeting and had every coach, you know, speak and, uh, to the, to the players. Um, and the D line coach was, um, Ken Delgado. And, uh, and he was an ex offensive lineman that played at San Jose state and, um, uh, and he was the D line coach, you know, and, and he was just really just kind of dry and, you know, no, I didn't see he was a bad guy. I was like, ah, I could play for that guy. You know, I'm pretty sure he'd appreciate me, you know, and I, I'd do well for him, you know, and probably be a decent coach. And, um, uh, and then the O line coach was introduced and, uh, you know, and, and he started talking and I just was like, just locked in. You know, like this guy, and he played 17 years in the NFL. 17? Um, yeah, Ed White. And uh, played with all of the uh, uh, Vikings, uh, Super Bowl teams back in the day, the people eaters, all that. Um, and uh, um, played with Dan Fowler. He played nine years with the Vikings, and then he played another uh, seven years, or seven years with the Vikings, nine years with the Chargers or something. Like, uh, crazy um experience or yeah. eight years anyways and um all pro everything the the strongest man in the nfl at one point but you know all those statistics and and everything and i'm like oh wow this guy was nfl coach this that and the other but then he just started uh when they introduced him but then he started talking and he and he gave this amazing i don't even remember it but it was just something that i remember just being locked in like and i was like Damn it. Because <laughs> I was set going back to defensive line. You know, right. I'm like, oh, I'm going back, man. I'm going to go play defense. I'm going to go, you know, mess some people up. I'm going to get some sacks. I'm going to run around. I'm going to get wild. You know, like, like I was. More, a little more glory involved, yeah. yeah. Nah, you know, just uh, more me. You know, alpha male, like, unleash me. You know, that's what I wanted to do. Right. That's what I loved about football the most um, was the freedom. You know, in defense, you have that freedom for the most part. You know, you, you might have contain or whatever, but uh, you, you get the ball and nobody cares what you, what contain you blew or exactly, read yeah. you blew if you get that ball. So that that's why I loved it. And I was and I and I remember just walking out of that team meeting at San Diego State after that that first team meeting of the new coaching staff. And standing outside was night, and uh, looking up at the stars, it was a clear night, and I just stood in the, uh, in the hallway there, or out in the courtyard, and the coaches said, you know, we don't care where you go. The head coach is really cool, Ted Tolner. He said, after he introduced his staff, he said, look, we don't care what position you want to play. Go to the meeting that you want to go to in the position you want to play, and we're going to figure this whole thing out here this spring. 
And I was like, cool, you know, I can go to, the, you know, Luganville, the old coach, they, they, they came, you know, thought about me being an offensive line. So I was like, oh, I know that I could do that, you know. Um, but I know I, I could play defense. I know, and I want to do that, you know, for sure. That's something I, I mean, I was just like, ah. Oh. And so I was standing outside in the courtyard just going, what do I do? And all the guys were flowing into the rooms. And I was, I, I literally, I thought I was the last person standing out there. And I was, it was just dark. And, uh, and I was just looking at the D-line room and the O-line room and just going, eeny, meeny, <laughs> mo. Like, what path should I go? You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was literally that kind of moment where you're faced with the door, you know. And one door is going to lead you down a certain, you know, path for a, a life. And the other is, is as well. And, and I was just like, I want to make it to the NFL. That guy spoke to me and it was as if he was speaking directly to me. And as a coachable player, as a player who's had great coaches growing up, I knew that that mattered, you know, there's value. Yep. Yeah. A ton of value. And, um, and so I just was like, I remember literally, I was like, Damn it! And I just like walked over to the offensive line room and walked in the door. And the coach, oh hey Kyle, we were wondering if you were going to come in here or be a or, or we were going to be fighting you. <laughs> yeah, to come back here. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. So obviously you had a very successful college career because you were drafted in the first round, uh, but you had an injury during that time too. You blew out your knee. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen, and what was that like recovery like? Uh, spring drills, uh, stupid, you know. These dumb drills, even still today, coaches do, you know, these cowboy drills and, and inside run drills where you're just, you know. Right, bashing skulls. Oklahoma drills, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's the dumbest thing. And guys just end up getting stalemated, and then you have too many bodies around. People start flying into each other. And, of course, I just got one uh, D lineman thrown into my knee, and, and I had a knee brace on. And I remember just the pressure coming down on that and going, I got to turn out of this. I got to turn out of this. Like it was like slow motion. And and all of a sudden, ah, you know, and the knee just goes, pow. It was like a gun went off. My knee just completely dislocated all the way back around my leg. And it was just like, like flopping there. I was like, oh my God, you know? Yes. Yeah, uh, oh man, this was my, you know, sophomore year, uh, junior year, sophomore year. I can't remember. 96. No, going into my June. Going into my junior year. And, I, you know, this is like scouts are starting to talk. I hear the rumors and like, you know, Kyle Turley, this is a great player. And, um, and, I was, and this happened and I was just like, oh, no. You know, your life totally changes, completely changes. Like everything you thought was just different now. And, uh, and now, you know, that was difficult. I had to go get surgery. They didn't want to do surgery at first, but it was – I went to specialists and, and my offensive line coach, Ed White, uh, said, Kyle, you have to go see my doctor. The, the school doctors didn't want to do anything. Um, they didn't want to operate. They're like, oh, you dislocated your knee all the way around. Uh, but it, it popped back in. Like the kneecap or whatever? Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. You know, and you've got a torn, uh, uh, torn MCL and you've got a – you know, your patella tendons now are all – detached and stretched out you know and so and and you know they're like oh you'll be fine just put a knee brace on it you know my offensive line coach played the nfl he's like he knew he's like no he's like no this is the dumbest thing ever this kid has got so much talent he's got two years left with us like get him fixed you know and so i went to the chargers doctor gary losey at the time 
and uh, saw him, and he was like, oh, no, Kyle, you got to fix this. Uh, if you don't fix that, then your patella is going to ride out, to, then you're going to dislocate your knee all the time. It's, it's always going to keep dislocating, and you're just going to get worse and worse. You're going to have to have major surgery. We can scope this out right now you know, uh, and resolve that. And so that's what they did. I, I, I agreed with that and they, um, that's what they did and, uh, rehabbed, uh, my ass off and, and was back, you know, that season ready to play. I don't know if I should have been playing, uh, you know, cause uh, you, you didn't feel like you were ready or you my could... knee just, I was ready to play, but my knee just was just swelling all the time. Oh, I mean, okay. I had to get my entire junior year before every game at the end of the week, I had to get 100 cc's of fluid drained out of my left knee before every game, you know, and it and it's just like, it was just such a process of dealing with the pain and the you know weakness. I lost some, I atrophied a, a bunch, you know, my muscles, quad, yeah. you know, quad lost the quad, you know, I had to rebuild everything, so it was a struggle, um, but I, I could go, you know, and I could do my job. Um, and when you're in the game, the adrenaline takes over. Um, but, uh, you know, practice and leading up to the, every game was just a grind that whole year. And I think that helped me as well, though, you know, in, in contention for the league and being such a high draft pick that the coaches knew that I'd fight through, you know, whatever I could fight through. Right. So you think that helped you overall? Because you came back and how long did, like, the slowing last for? Like did All it, season. <laughs> what yeah. about, like, your uh, – uh, no, it started year. to subside. You know that. Then after the season, I was finally because it was it happened in spring ball. So surgery, spring ball is like right around now. Right. And so right around now, it happened uh, in '96. And so then I, you know, consulting doctors, me doesn't. So then you went to the NFL pass. after that. No, uh, that was my junior year. So you played your senior year. Yeah, I went okay. back for my senior year because of that. Mainly, I wanted to prove increase your stock, kind of. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and have another year. I was really uh, wanting another year uh, uh, and a chance to. You know, I had I had coaches and some uh, scouts saying that they would draft me, um, and uh, in the in the top three rounds. And so, uh, luckily at the time, there was a benefit that the NCAA pro provided uh, through an insurance policy. If you were projected to be a top uh, three-round draft pick, um, and you had multiple teams that could confirm that they would draft you in the draft um, in the top three rounds um, as a junior, you could apply and be accepted to have this insurance policy that if anything happened your senior year, then you would have a million-dollar insurance policy. And so I was like, okay, cool. You know, then I'll, I'll I risked it for that going right. back my senior year um, because of that benefit. That doesn't that exist policy. anymore. No, it's still there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, if a guy wants to come back his senior year, there is some protections there, uh, and potential, you know, if something catastrophic happens and you can't play in the NFL, then, you know, you'd be compensated a million bucks. Gotcha. And, you know, so, um, which I look back now, you know, and I had teams after that, though. They're like, man, we were going to draft you in the first round, Kyle. We were going to sneak you in because nobody knew about you. You know, oh, yeah. you're out of San Diego State. I was like, what? No way, man. I'm going to draft the first round as a junior. That would be you. But, you know, also at the same time, I had a lot of other coaches and scouts telling me, like, you could be the best offensive lineman in the country next year. Like, you'll be the top lineman drafted, period. And, um, and that's what happened. <laughs> right. So did you ever struggle, like, mentally throughout that recovery process of the knee? Oh, yeah. Recovering from injuries is a 
bitch. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, those are nightmares still. You know? How did you, like, what helped you to get through those? Just the knowledge and, and you know, knowing that it, and motivation to get back, you know, um, and prove people wrong, prove the injury wrong, uh, prove the negative thoughts wrong. And, you know, I just, again, you either have these intangibles of overcoming adversity or you don't, I think, you know. And you think it's like a born thing? Yeah, a hundred percent. You're you're either someone who you know is naturally gifted at taking on adversity and going whatever, let's go, you know, let's do this, or um, or you run. You're either fight or flight. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, if something happens, and I already told, I told my family, if something happens, some guy comes in here, and we're in a restaurant shooting, and, and all these other, you know crazy things you see happening in, in the world. I said, you guys run for the exit. I'm running to the guy. Okay, that's what's going to happen. Just so you know, <laughs> right. I'm going to take him out. You're a fighter, not a flighter. Yeah, you know that's the that's the answer. The answer yeah. is to fight. You know, fleeing never, well, no matter what it is. If you're going to fleeing a, a situation of injury or struggle, um, before you fight, you know, it's just cowardly and 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 you're just uh, not living life. You right. know, this life is meant to to you know, persevere. Yeah, this is not easy. Everybody has struggles. True, Everybody's yeah. got problems no matter what, what life they live. Um, and uh, it's a matter of whether or not you're going to finish, right? you know, or just give up and, and allow these things to, that are happening to you to, you know, control your life. And you're either here to be free or you're here to be controlled. I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, so you make it to the, or you get drafted by the New Orleans Saints and you were pretty relatively injury-free during that time? Yeah, for six years. I mean, I was quite fortunate to not have any real bad injuries. You know? how, how do you think – like, why do you think you were able to avoid injury? Like, what were you doing anything specifically, or is it just like pure luck? No, it's pure luck in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, just in football in general. I, I got lucky. I mean, if you don't – that's the only difference between a Hall of Famer and a guy who has done his rookie year – you know, that had the same amount of talent and ability and potential is that injury, right? that one injury. And, you know, some guys are just incredibly lucky and fortunate to be able to have not suffered those, you know, and I was for six years and then I had it, you know, and then I had one. <laughs> Didn't think that was going to happen. Right. When, when, when was that injury and what, what was it? Oh, three and uh, uh, two injuries actually that, that were critically changed, uh, changed my life. Um, uh, not just my football career. And that was uh, in St. Louis, my sixth year in 2003. And uh, finished the season, uh, had an all-pro season, you know, uh, made the Pro Bowl and all that stuff. And, and it was um, – but I had a massive concussion, um, was hospitalized, you know, knocked out completely unconscious, and a lot of residual, you know, effects from that um, that I finished the season out with, second impact, you know. Um, just every, I mean, the, the answer to concussions back in 03 after being knocked fully unconscious during a football game in the National Football League was to, uh, protocol-wise, was to uh, wake me up uh, with ammonia caps off the field and bring me to the sideline and sit me on the bench um, for 30 minutes and um, ask me repeatedly how I was doing and if I could go back in. What? <laughs> and uh and then finally realizing I couldn't and I was pretty messed up. And so then they took me to the locker room 
Um, walked me to my locker. I don't remember much of anything. Vague memories of just being guided to my locker. Helped me get my pads off. Walked me literally to the shower. Turned on the shower for me. Uh, take me from the shower back to my locker. Helped me get my clothes on. Bring my wife down. Put her in a closet in the training room, in the locker room. Um, bring me to her and say, here you go. <laughs> He's your Dude, problem now. Jeez. <laughs> and fortunately, I ran into a teammate in the hallway, an ex-teammate from New Orleans, uh, Joe Johnson, and he knew me. And and uh, saw him. I was like, Joe, I guess, you know. And I remember just seeing him and saying, that's the only vi- memories I have are just these faces that came into, you know, view here. Um, you know, Marshall Falk on the sideline looking at me like, man, you are fucked up, <laughs> you know. And I'm just like, uh, what? <laughs> and then Joe. Johnson in the hallway, uh, you know, being concerned, like overly concerned, like, man, you, and told my wife, say, you need to get him to the hospital right now, right now, get him to the hospital. And at the time in the league, you know, not, to have somebody say that to you I mean, and, a, and a player, you know, like, and for her, she was terrified. So she, and we had to go find a police officer at the stadium to Take a, she had to find the police officer. She said, sir, can you please help me? And uh, this is Kyle Turley, and he just got done playing the game. And so the team like, didn't do anything? No, they did something. And the, so the cop was like, yeah, we'll give him to the hospital right away. And so I got in the back of a cop car with my wife, and they drove us out of the stadium. Like We went outside the stadium. My wife's looking and flagging down a police officer. And we go to, they take us, he, he lights it up and goes and takes me to the emergency room. And I'm admitted in uh, uh, St. Louis there into the hospital. And the doctors are freaking out because they, they gave me a brain scan. And they just, red alert, boom, 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 red alert, right? And all these doctors start firing up. And then at the end of the day, it was, uh, I don't remember anything. I'm just laying there and I'm just going through the whole thing. I'm out of it, completely out of it. And, um, I mean, I lost, I don't remember anything for, you know, outside of just these little blips of stuff for the whole rest of the day and into the next day. And, um, and I remember those doctors though, just every, all of a sudden, just like all these people like freaking out, you know? And, um, and, and what it was is they saw the image of what is, I know is, is CTE that you can see in a living brain. And that is through these basic MRI scans that show the blurredness, the blurred mass that's starting to surround your brain. And uh, I don't think they were too privy to those images um, from football players and or anyone uh, because of the lack of attention paid to head injuries. Yeah, at that time, yeah. They get car accident paid. They get severe brain injuries that come in, you know, not from football. Everybody just goes home and they send you home you know, from, from, football, these, yeah. from football, right? And um, and so they were quite alarmed. And then all of a sudden I remember was laying in my hospital bed as they were keeping me there from further observations. Um, uh, and then the general manager of the team comes in. I see, remember his face talking to him. And uh, I was out of the hospital and allowed to leave uh, shortly after that. And I never saw those doctors or neurologists or uh, any brain people after that uh, ever again. I was never directed to go see any of those people back at that hospital. And when were you? When did you play next? 
the next day they said I was cleared to go to practice and put me out there uh, full contact in practice after I, they were asking me, how you feel? I'm like, I don't know, man. I you know, wasn't sleeping well, you know, headaches constantly, just migraines like crazy and going into them. And they're like, how do you feel? You know, how you feeling, Kyle? How are you feeling today? And I'm just like, I don't know, I mean, I got a real bad headache, you know, just super bad headache. That's all. And they're like, okay, go to practice. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's and I got put back in practice. Like right away. I played in that next game, you know, the next week. Uh, against the Steelers and, you know, balled out. So no problem, right? We're all, we're good. Right. But, you know, looking back now, my wife can actually say that that was the one thing that she remembers that really things started to change after that for it, me. In terms of your health or like mental health? Yeah, mental physical health. health. Mental health. Okay. You know, and then, and then just shortly after that, I mean, I was complaining about, I started complaining late in the season about, um, um, hip pain, leg pain, you know, my right leg. I was like, I mean, this hip pain, leg pain is just getting out of control. And, uh, and I'm, you know, going to my massage therapist, all these other people. And again, and the training staff and telling them, and they're like, they shoot me up with cortisone, you know, like, Oh, let's fix that. Like, Oh, we don't know what it could be. You know, this hip pain and leg pain you're experiencing, uh, this shooting pain, you know? And after I then, after the season's over with, you know, as I just fought through it, you know, tough, be tough, fight through it, you know, the pain, whatever. Um, and my, it, my back wasn't, it wasn't focused on my back. You don't, you don't, back injuries don't manifest in your back. Right. You get it like you get other that places, sciatica, yeah. you know, you get sciatica and that's what happens because it hits that nerve, um, and, and just debilitates you. So, you know, I was just thought my leg was hurt. They just kept shooting it up with cortisone, like numbing it, you know. And I kept going, uh, lifting weights, kept going, kept going, kept going. And then in the off season, it just got worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't move my leg anymore. Like, it just stiffened up, like, just rigor mortis type stiff and pain just locked up. And atrophy started setting in, like, walked out of the shower one day and, like, no, no ass cheek no more, no calf muscle no more. And, like, it was literally within a few weeks that it happened. I was like, what's going on? You know, and I go to the doctor. Pain's just killing me, setting in. And I go to the doctors. Uh, finally, uh, they send me to a specialist. And I go in this specialist. Air, air quotes, yeah. Yeah, I, I go in this specialist's office. And I remember walking in, and there's a sign on the door. If you're experiencing this pain, that pain, that pain, all the things I was experiencing and told the coaches about the whole season long or the end of the season there, what was going, starting to happen, which is likely a bulging disc, they said, you could have a herniated disc in your lower back, and it's strangling your sciatic nerve. And this whole diagram in the, this office, you know, I'm like, that's all the things I have. Like, that's what I got. And then the doctor comes in, and they're like, yeah, I think you got a herniated disc in your back. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, what the hell? A herniated disc. This whole time, yeah. I'm like, dang it. It probably could have just been a, a bulge in when it started, and I started having those symptoms, and they could have – you know, gave me an MRI, uh, known that for a fact, because they knew I was exhibiting all the symptoms of that, um, and address it right there. But they didn't want to, because that would have risked me sitting out a couple games maybe to calm right. that thing down. So you were telling them how you felt. It's not like you were hiding your symptoms or, like, even well, trying to be a tough guy. Like, no. You were, yeah, you were saying. I was going anyway. I, I, you know, I would have still went. I still would have given up if I would have known I had even a bulging disc. Right. I probably still would have went. 
you know, but I would have been able to start implementing treatments and therapies post-practice and in the evenings and all these things to help calm that down to where it wouldn't have likely become a hernia, full-blown herniation uh, at the end of the day, ultimately, that was the size of a golf ball, they said, just strangling my sciatic nerve. Damn. You know? Do you think that the concussion had anything to do with that? I don't think so. You know, I mean, outside of maybe I, I was a lot more lethargic after the concussion, not as motivated. I don't think to. I just think like in terms of like motor function, like the brain possibly. injury might have like turned something else off that yeah, made maybe. your back exposed to injury. Maybe you know, possibly. I don't. I don't know about that. You know, more than it's the game and things happen. Again, the right. point is that that these things happen and the protocols directed towards healing these injuries when they start um, are just were non-existent. Right. It was get back out there, you know. Um, and so no matter it's a concussion where I probably could have had a better outcome in dealing with that um, and post-career as well, for sure, dealing with the aftermath of that concussion. Had I had the opportunity to take a month off and really get into cryotherapies, oxygen therapies, you know, all these other things that we're ignoring, not just cannabis, you know. Right. The other things that are still not to this day being implemented that could be totally life-changing for young athletes, uh, athletes in general, dealing with traumatic brain injury. Right. You know, there's no, they're just horrible. Pro you have stroke patients still to this day enjoying code brain, which mandates that when the call comes in, they're at a neurological recovery center uh, that's capable of handling the most severe traumatic brain injuries within 90 minutes. And that's, what, that's a law. And still to this day, in a situation like yours, uh, you know, these high school kids that are out there are getting the ambulance coming in a few minutes. It's on its way. Um, uh, oh, and then they're going to take you to the contracted uh, general hospital because it's the cheapest one to, you know, write a insurance policy in under your high school or your, you know, football league, what have you. Um, and you're going to go there and they're going to say, we can't handle this injury. This is too severe for us. Ship you somewhere and else. then you got to wait for the helicopter to come or an ambulance to come that's going to take you off to the other place. It's going to be that long drive for you to get to there. By the time these kids get to these hospitals, you know, the damage is more than done, and right. no re no return for twenty kids in America. I looked out that that wasn't my situation, but yeah, it, yeah, it's very real. Um, so, what was your transition to life after sports like, and what was like your lowest point? I mean, transition after sports. Uh, no matter when your your days are done, if you're an impassioned, uh, you know, competitor, because still to this day I miss wrestling. You know. Um, I not, miss not. I miss baseball. I can't even go out and play softball anymore because I'm I went out and um, blowing hamstrings out now. I'm 41 and it's like I can't do any of this. My body's so shot, you know. And so on any level of if you're an athlete, you know, when you can't participate in athletics, you know, it it's uh it can be quite depressing, you know. Um you know, your life is uh is is being active and um you know, being active is is just when you take that away from somebody uh, that 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 that's their life. Uh, that's what makes them feel alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's a struggle to this day to go surfing anymore. You know, um, to do anything, you know, for too long is a struggle. 
Um, and so that that's depressing. And when you're done, you know, in the first, you know, uh, well, I don't think it ever happens, but it, immediately when you're when you've come, gone from ten foot tall, bulletproof, you know, NFL player to what do I do? You know, that's that's tough to deal with in and of itself. And then to have a compromised brain on top of that, you know, and all these other things happening. It wasn't just depression, you know, stress of trying to figure it out again, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the things that the uh, NFL wants to say that that's all it is. is these guys just can't figure it out, you know. I, I was suffering from vertigo constantly, migraine headaches constantly. You know, no player, in my opinion, leaves the game that's a impassioned, dedicated player. They don't, they don't just leave the game. The game passes them by, and they have to walk away if they can walk, <laughs> you know. If they're lucky enough to walk. Yeah, yeah. you're gimping away from this game. If, uh, you know, certain individuals, like, you know, guys in the past, like Robert Smith that uh, uh, played for Vikings and, you know, uh, Barry Sanders, these guys, oh, I quit before I got hurt, you know, like, uh, uh, or hurt too bad, you know, like, good for them. But some of us really, you know, pushed on and did everything we could to continue that dream and until the wheels literally fell off. And when you have all those injuries uh, and the pain and everything else on top of that, of losing your life um, and what you were and your whole identity, that just it's just compounded, you know, exponentially. So you're you're just in a uh, weird limbo state until you f- until you f- find your 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 path, I guess, or you you just find something else to take up that time and even still there's just nothing to fill that void you know I mean coaching has been one of the best things uh, for me to be attached to the game but even still that's depressing because you want to be out there and you're like right there you're right there like I want to get in and do this you know but then you're like oh I got similar feeling damn plantar fascia tendons torn (laughs) both my feet my ankles needs reconstruction I need two new knees and a new hip you know and it just makes it makes another back surgery and it just reminds you real quick you know right yeah it's never coming back (laughs) I can completely relate to all those feelings that you like were talking about what was like the lowest point that you, you know, were um, in during this transition, and like how did you get yourself out of it? Uh, lowest point was you know, and just dealing with all these neurological injuries um, from my concussions and and all these things that started to manifest in this d- CTE disease. Um, uh, that you know, just uh, from '96, we talked about in, with surgeries, with all these injuries, comes medication. And uh, the pharmaceutical industry has controlled that, you know, thanks to our doctors and, and our teams and everybody else who's, you know, been complicit in this and not demanding better answers. We got uh, pushed all the pills. And so since 96, I was taking a painkiller, a muscle relaxer, uh, anti-inflammatory, a sleep aid, um, um, every day, you know. These medications were constant um, to deal with all these injuries because that was what was being told to me to take. Like, right. here, this will help. Because you go into the trainer and you go, hey, look, this is going on, blah, blah, blah. And majority of the time uh, when I played, instead of going, oh, let's see if we can't remedy this, you know, uh, you know, holistically here. Let's try to remedy this. Let's try to stretch you out better. Let's try to do this. Let's try to, okay, you need to more ice here. Let's ice that. You know, instead of going these routes, it was, you know, here's a, here's a piece of paper. Go to this place and they'll give you this bottle of pills and you take that and you'll be fine you know and um 
So, you know, that was uh, all day long, every day. Um, and post-career, neurological issues surfaced even more so because I started having vertigo issues early on in my NFL career. And they, they were like, every year I'd have these vertigo episodes where they'd just throw me in a dark room at the uh, facility and tell me to go to sleep when the team went out to practice and they'd wake me back up when I'd uh, come back out because they put me in a cold, dark room. They knew to when I would come in with vertigo in the mornings, I would just wake up with it some, some mornings during football seasons. And they knew to bring me in and uh, have a room for me that was dark and the air conditioning was on. How did they know that? That that was going to help me, that that was going to work. And then they would go and just test me for, I remember being in New Orleans and all this was happening. And they were testing me for everything under the sun, my ears, my, you know, my hearing, all that, uh, um, everything else, you know, that it could possibly be, except giving me a brain scan to understand that this was what was happening. And, um, and so, you know, I would wake up after uh, the practice was over. They'd wake me up, and I'd, I'd be, I wouldn't have vertigo anymore because I was in a cold, dark room. I, I was able to relieve the pressure and the, 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 the temperature, you know, of, I mean, we're in Louisiana. We're training in the heat, you know. Uh, the brain is overheating. And um, anyways, so those things con- just continued. And then post-football career it was every day, all day, vertigo, dealing with it constantly and migraine headaches. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then ultimately I had uh, an episode where I passed out in public, uh, wouldn't stop vomiting and and spinning, uh, the worst vertigo episode I'd had in my life at that point. And my wife rushes me to the hospital, checking the emergency room. By that time, I'd thrown up like 20 times and... and, uh, um, started to go into a seizure and they had to have four nurses hold me down in the MRI machines. I was flopping around like a, like a fish on a boat and, um, and was hospitalized for three days in Nashville, uh, uh, while these doctors tried to figure out what was going on with me, you know? And, um, and that's when the, the conversation start going about this brain injury. And we scanned your brain again, post, I had a scan in 2003 at that hospital, which they refused to give to me today somehow. Um, and, um, follow that up, uh, in, uh, uh, Nashville where I have another brain scan and they show it to me and it's this blurred mass you know, on my brain. And they were quite concerned about that. And um, uh, so three days in the hospital there and talking to these neurologists uh, about it. And they're like, well, you got a bad brain injury, played football, you know, that's what it is. And uh, or that's what we think it is. And I'm pretty sure it's it. that's what it is. And um, here, go see this neuropsychologist and talk to him a little bit. And we can probably then prescribe you a medication that we believe works. So then that became not just the painkillers, muscle relaxers, all that came. Well, Butrin was the first one. And that um, made me want to jump out the third story window of my house in Nashville. Went so crazy on that drug. And then, so that doesn't work. Then I went back in and they put me on Depakote. And uh, Depakote started to seem to mediate the situation. I stopped having the vertigo episodes. And that was just such a hindrance in my life that I was like willing to accept the other things that were not so good about Depakote. And I was on Depakote for six years. 
Um, and then they still things were happening and more manifestations of rage and, and um, all these other things, uh, losing control, not feeling in control mentally at all. Um, but, you know, the vertigo was subsided and, and the headaches. So I, 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 you know, felt like, okay, you know, I can deal with this and, and keep on this medication because I don't want to have these vertigo episodes anymore. They're dangerous. You know, I've had them driving before and oh wow yeah. And had to like, luckily with people and had them take the wheel and like pull the car to the side of the road, you know, it just, yeah. just out of nowhere, you know? And, um, and then, uh, uh, Zoloft got prescribed. Zoloft was on Zoloft for a while because everything just kept getting worse mentally. I just couldn't cope with things. Um, and then uh, uh, I just that was my lowest point was was just really being so pilled out that my life was controlled by them, and I was suicidal and homicidal and just like living in this weird world mentally, you know that was completely foreign to me and I didn't want to live it. And I got to that point where I was like, I've got to make a change here um, or I'm going to kill myself because I thought about it quite a bit. And Because of like the symptoms that you were just sick of or because of like... Yeah, 100%. You okay. know, when you, when you become somebody you're not, you know, and you're, uh, you're just uh, not who you were and you're a nuisance and you feel a burden, you feel like you're a burden to those you, you're, that you love and right. you're around, you know, your family, your wife, your friends, your kids, everything just starts to go away from you because nobody wants to be around you, you know, because you're such a different person and they don't know you and you're not a nice person. You know, I had, I couldn't go to McDonald's anymore uh, when I was right, right at the end of being in Nashville without uh, uh, to the playground with my kids without raging on people, you know, because so many things just set me off, you know, I couldn't deal with it. Um, no matter where it was, I had to be the, you know, I, I say something to somebody about something, you know, it's just becoming this old, bitter pissed off man you know like like you see like 90 year old men just hollering at everybody you know that's dementia alzheimer's and i was starting to exude all those symptoms you know and all those signs so dealing with that was quite difficult being a young man you know and then 35 years old find myself in a parking lot in nashville contemplating suicide in my car you know with a gun so i had called suicide hotlines and had them talk me down you know those type of things so you know, again, that wasn't me. And I, and I knew that. And, and, uh, uh, but I was then addicted to these, these psych meds. And every time I tried to get off of them, because I knew what they were doing to me, I tried to get off of them. You couldn't, you know, you just couldn't, you the headaches would just come in full force and depression and all these things were just out of control. And you're like, fuck, I'm going to kill myself. You know, like this is crazy. You're trapped. Yeah. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I got to keep going with this. Otherwise I'm not going to be here. And then I, I was like, I got to go back to California. I got to get, I know there's something with marijuana. I know there's something there, you know, I'd had experiences with it, um, you know, uh, sporadically over my career in the NFL where people said, here, try this. This will help you sleep. This will help you do this. And I knew that to be the case after the first time I tried it, uh, which was my second year in the league because I didn't, because I didn't want to get busted and be one of those guys and lose my scholarship or, you know, get kicked off the team or suspended or anything like that right taint my name and what i worked for 
And then I understood I was informed of the policy in the NFL. And uh, so I went, came out of California and I was still just in a, such a mental state uh, of negativity. And I was going to rehab centers and stuff with different buddies of mine and, and, you know, peer groups and just trying to track this thing down and really deal with it and uh, fellowship with people. And, you know, it was just like, wow, this is my life. This is crazy. Like, I'm just like, I feel like a junkie, you know? And, um, um, with all the pills and everything. And I was just like, uh, something's got to change. I got to change. I, I got to get off these pills. And so that's then, you know, turns into the whole moving to California and getting into the medical marijuana program and, and looking for finding an answer. I mean, my hands were shaking. I was exuding symptoms of Parkinson's disease, ALS. All of these things were just starting to take a sharp decline in my life where I was a mess. And I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't sit here without my hands just like this constantly. Shaking, yeah. Like two years, a little over two years ago, you know, until I found certain strains of of marijuana that were unbelievably medicinal and then have since progressed and gotten into all the other areas that have completely changed my life and allowed me to be 100% pill-free. And then I realized that uh, very soon after getting off all those pills that that those were the problem as much as the injuries if not more, because they preyed on the injury and they made the injury worse. Um, and so they didn't help. They numbed you, you know, painkillers just numb you. They don't, they don't kill pain. Right. Um, and uh, So you're saying that cannabis, like how, does, how does cannabis affect your pain? Like, and how often do you need to, do you smoke it or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do it every way, every way, every day. Uh, like how often do you have to do that? But it's in very specific ways. That- Every day. Uh, it's a use-as-needed medicine. Okay. You know, and that's the great part about it. Um, when you understand it and you understand what certain strains do on the THC side and uh, you understand the science behind CBD and all of these other elements, terpenes and things uh, that are these elements of the plant that are unbelievably medicinal, you can implement them when you need them. It's not like taking pills where you, you have to take this many pills a day, you know. One day you're great. You can only, you know, all you need to do is just take a couple hits, you know, and you're good to go, you know, and life's great. Um, some days, you know, you, you need to keep it by your side all the time, you know, and uh, get through it. And at the end of the day, there's no side effects and that are negative, you know, other than, especially if you understand what you're doing and what you're using, you know, much like they're trying to do with these pills. You know, again, it was, hey, well, butrin, try this, you know. Oh, side effects, suicide, homicide, you know, depression. Sign me up. Yeah, okay, well, if this doesn't work, come back and we'll try another. You know, these are, they're just synthetic strains of marijuana or uh, opium, you know, is what they're peddling, these chemicals. These, these medicines are designed to go, what I've learned now in my understanding of this and having um, real life-changing moments where the power of these things are manifest to me and undeniable uh, drove me to go and learn more and find the science and what is available science-wise and information-wise uh, for me to understand about this and how this works. How can I advance this? Because I, I, I found something here and I need to, to help myself more and I need to help educate more people um, on this. And so, um, you know, that then spawned me into this whole path of really knowing what the difference is between synthetic medications and uh, the plants that God put on this earth for us to deal with injury and illness that have kept me 
free from illness. I haven't been sick in over two years, period. Not at all. And my kids are the only kids that have not been sick in their kindergarten and second grade classes for the last, for this whole, this whole year. The only kids that they haven't been sick because I give them CBD every day. Because I know the power of it. I know the science behind it. I've talked to the smartest people in the world that have researched this, that have been funded by our government, you know, because of my desire to know what's, what is the truth. Right. And, um, you know, so I, and it's changed people's lives around me as well that are, are just witnesses to it all. I, I don't need to even talk about it anymore. It's like, I got all these people out here that talk about it for me because I've been able to educate myself because I was at the bottom, pulled myself up and proved to everybody else that this makes me a better person. And this is how I, and I, and I'm continuing to constantly push that envelope of finding more answers, not just going, Oh, sweet. Weed works. Let me smoke weed all day, you know, and, you know, have a, and be a dad, be a husband, a coach, you know, I'm, I'm back to my life. I lost, I, I was hopeless under the pill prescription deal, you know? Uh, and that's what happens to everybody. We see that play out in the media every day in our country, you know, and I was just done with that and made it, needed to make a change. Otherwise I was going to kill myself or disappear. You know, I was just losing my mind. That's a life-changing thing for you, for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah, saved my life, discovery. period. That's why I talk about it. It saved my life, and I firmly believe that it will allow me to continue to live this life. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> the things that, that it's changed uh, with me, my family, I wouldn't have this where we're sitting right now. We'd be doing this interview down at the beach somewhere in my, you know, I'd, I would have got the Sprinter van in the divorce settlement, you know, and, <laughs> right. and I'd be living in that thing down at the beach, you know, uh, with a handicap pass parking sticker because I'd get free parking, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad it, didn't, it didn't turn out that yeah. way for you. Yeah. yeah, me too. You have a beautiful home. Yeah, and yeah, but more so. I mean, I got these beautiful kids here, man, and they yep. need dad and beautiful wife and he's a husband, and I was totally detached from them and life uh, where I was, and this has brought it back in so many ways that I can't count and uh, couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested with all the cannabis use and like how that could help athletes. Um, all right. As we talk about your transition to life after football, I know that you've always been like a musician and an artist and one of your songs, I, I, and I know you had a, a helmet throwing incident that is pretty well known, but you wrote a song <laughs> about it. And I just want to talk about some of the lines in there and just like what the meaning behind them are to you. Uh, cause I thought they were pretty powerful when I was listening to the song and reading the lyrics as, as I was going along. So the one was, I love the NFL. I wore their shield on my chest, but when I couldn't go anymore, they hung me like the rest. And I love the union. They don't give a damn. They'd rather kick you back on Uncle Sam. Mm -hmm. So, like, what what does that mean? Is that like, <laughs> I guess I'm curious in terms of you love the NFL, you love football, right? You, yeah. You, it's always been something that made you feel, like, whole. Yeah, 100%. Um, but then when you talk about, like, they kind of kick you to the curb when, like, they can't use you anymore. Yeah, I mean, that that was what really jaded me on the NFL was was that how can you spread this word of family around, you know, when at the moment you your your family member needs you the most, you just turn your back on them. 
Right. You know, and so that was real hurtful and hard to deal with. You know, my last day in the NFL, I mean, that's the uh, – that's the story to be to, – to, I'm waiting for somebody to do that, you know, get guys' stories on their last day in the NFL. You know, mine was a snowy day in Kansas City where I walk into the locker room and uh, because I had gone to the doctor and complained about an ankle injury, I just played a game through for this team and kicked the crap out of the uh, the Chargers' defensive ends um, and, uh, you know uh, – for them and for the team, knowing that I had, was coming in for this injury and, and that I was, my foot had gone numb on me completely um, right before this game, and I had this ankle injury that was bothering me during the season. I would sprained it earlier in the year and uh, pretty bad, and then all of a sudden I wake up one day and my foot's completely numb, and I go into uh, uh, to work, and they go, oh, you know, what's going on? And and uh, I, I can't feel my foot, so they immediately send me to the doctor, get me an MRI, exam, you know, the, the whole scan deal, send me to a specialist, um, um, and I didn't practice uh, until uh, I missed one practice, and then practice, but then came back and practiced the next day because the team needed me, and we didn't have uh, depth at the positions to, to fill it in. And, uh, you know, they asked me if I could play, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I'll go, you know, I was so, oh my gosh. I was like, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I might break my leg out there because I cannot feel my foot. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. That's scary. Yeah. And I just played through it and, and was able to do it and had a great game, you know, uh, and that usually is the, you know, sign for them to go, Oh, let's get rid of him right now. He's look, you know, he played a great game under this really bad injury apparently. And so that's what happened. You know, I, I then went to, uh, uh, went home and then, and then that after the game Sunday and then that Monday, uh, um, I'm driving into practice and I get a voicemail from Carl Peterson, the GM of the chief saying, Hey, Kyle, we saw we got the, the feedback back from the doctor, um, you know, from your ankle, and uh, apparently it needs surgery. And uh, um, so we're just going to put you on the injured reserve. And I was pushing you through it. You know, I'm like, I'm ready to finish the season here, man. Like, I don't, I don't, I need to get these paychecks. I was on a split contract and like no guarantees. Like, hey, man, this is Christmas time, dude. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm willing to push this on top of that, you know, for the rest of the year. If I need surgery, then pff, what? So then I'll get surgery after the season, like I always did. Um, and no, you know, and and you're you're okay to uh, you we're uh, we'd rather just have you get your things and 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 you know go. It's like I'm like I went through training camp. I busted my ass, you know, to right. be on the field and fight through injuries for this team. And I get to the stadium as after I hear this voicemail, and I walk into the. The, down to the tunnel and into the locker room in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium, and there's a box, a cardboard box, sitting in my locker with my stuff in it and a new guy's stuff in my locker. What? Yeah. Like, the box was on the floor. The new guy was in the locker with his new jersey and everything. Like, you're replaced. And I was just like, what the hell? And I just grabbed my box. I was just so speechless. And I uh, uh, went to the, tra the equipment guys. They said, hey, Coach, uh, Herm wants to see you, Herm Edwards. And I go up there, and Herm Edwards is like, man, sorry, Kyle, you know, heard about the injury. I'm like, Coach, I was going to play through this thing, you know. I'm like, I, I never got an opportunity to really fight 
for you guys. You never gave me that opportunity. And I really don't appreciate that. You know, I did everything I could to be here for you and this team. And uh, now you guys are going to do this to me, man. And just let me just shoot me along. And I don't even get to hang out with the team no more. And here's your box and go home. You know, you need surgery. Like, I, what the, what the fuck? You know, I was just yeah. like so pissed. And I remember just grabbing that box, leaving that meeting, grabbing my box and walking up the tunnel and having a couple guys pass me through. And they're like, Kyle, where are you going, man? I'm like, I'm like eh, got my box, bro. I'm out of here. They're like, what? What are you talking about, man? I just, you just kicked the crap out of the Chargers defensive ends <laughs> for us. surprises you. You yeah. know, yeah, like what happened? I'm like, well, you know, I had this ankle injury and then I'm, uh, I guess I told too many doctors about it and now I'm done. Walked out, it's snowing, you know, I'm in the parking lot and just I stand there with this cardboard box with my crap for my locker in it and just stand there and the snow's coming down. And I was just looking around and just went, this is it. This is how it goes. First round to here, you know? Yeah, that sucks. You know, all that. It was just such a, you know, that goes into that whole mentality of, you know, depressing, you know, depression that, that players fall into. Right. It's because those are pretty much everybody's last day, you know? There's no family in the NFL. So that's where I'm talking about, you know, uh, I wore their shield on my chest, you know? I mean, they put it on the, the jerseys and I put it on my chest, you know? And, and uh, I was born to play in the NFL, you know, I love the NFL and uh, they just, you know, took a big dump on me and, and, and said, see you later, you know, at the end of the day. And I was just so jaded by that, you know, uh, that how could you do that to people that work so hard for you? You right. know, just because you're trying to sit there and say they made enough money, like it's never about money for the players. It never was. It's about honoring the commitment and the work that they put into that. You know, I should have had my contract honored in St. Louis, but they were able to cut me because there's no guaranteed contract. And then I have to play under a league minimum split contract for two years with the Chiefs because the Chiefs signed me to a two-year deal. And I proved myself in the first year. And uh, they were supposed to honor me getting, you know, a better contract and more, uh, you know, guarantees in that my second year. Instead, they cut me right after my first year so they can now put me in a position to where I have to get and play under a split contract again for league minimum, which means if you get hurt, your paycheck's cut in half. And, uh, you know, you're, uh, um, you're out of there, you know, and, right. and, 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 and you got no recourse, you know, there's no power in that at all for any player under split contracts, you know, when you deal with injuries and, um, and then the union, once that happens, they're nowhere to be found. You know, I'm sitting here trying to battle this whole thing with the Rams after Oh three and, and Oh four, after they release me. Um, and going, wait a minute, I just signed a six year contract and I'm, my doctors are saying I'm able to come back now and I'm, I'm ready and I'm ready. And the team has said that they were allowing me to do this. Um, and now they're going to release me and cut me. I'm ready to come back and play. And the union's like, there's nothing we can do. You know, the team, you know, they have the ability in the CBA to, uh, you know, just release you. And so I'm just out in limbo now. And now I'm a marked guy with a bad back injury. Like, <laughs> Good luck, yeah. Yeah, good luck, you know. And uh, and I just signed a huge contract, you know. And 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 all I was doing was trying to recover from injury. Once I got back on the field, I was as good as I ever was, uh, you know, um, at times. And and if I was allowed to continue to work through that, I probably would have been able to, you know. But it was taking longer than they wanted, right? You know. 
That, that kind of brings me to the next line I wanted to talk about. about and they how, kick you back on the government. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, but, no, it's okay. But the whole thing with the, the thing where they'd rather kick you back on Uncle Sam is that they not only don't defend you, your union, you've now gone, you're now into retired player pool and they don't even represent you. And now your medical insurance after five years is done and they just put you to the mercy of social security disability uh, before they'll even clear you on your disability that you've earned playing the game. And so they, the union's just as bad, if not worse than the NFL. Yeah. I've interned there once and oh, did you? I have no comment. <laughs> <about that. laughs> you, inter- you, you interned at that PA. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you're there and you see it, you know, I was a rep, I've been there. And, and, and they just parade all these things around. And at the end of the day, it's just a money scam to try and build some coffer that they convince the players they're going to need one day for the owners. And all it is is just for them. And it's for their huge salaries that they give to all their employees and their buddies and all these guys that don't do anything for the players. There's very few guys in the union that ever do anything for the players. I mean, I tried to get rid of split contracts and I had a perfect resolution drawn for the whole thing. And Gene Upshawn, all those guys uh, said that this was this was it. This was the one that's going to get. And, and I had my back injury at that time and couldn't go over to Hawaii to the union meetings. And they shot the whole thing down. And Gene actually ended up being the guy to shut the whole thing down and give the players, tell them, tell the players that they'd have to come out of all the players' money instead of negotiating that with the owners. Right. You know, and it was just uh, the dumbest thing ever. And still to this day, they've not resolved split contracts. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I went there thinking that I wanted to help out with player safety stuff because that's something I'm really passionate about. But, I mean, there's some people there who are, like, super passionate about it also. But I think, like, the overall, like, vibe there is that's not really the case. But Yeah. Okay, so the last line I wanted to talk about was how, um, and I never knew my bones could feel so much pain for the good old American silver dollar. I'd do it all again. So when you say you do it all again, you have all these injuries and mm-hmm. aches and pains, and you had a lot of struggle because of something that you enjoyed at one point in time. But, you know, you said that you do it all over again, but would you do anything differently? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, what I know and understand now about dealing with and managing pain, uh, I wouldn't have taken any of those pills. I believe firmly that those not only helped to make my brain worse than it was you know, becoming because of football, but my body and joints and everything else is those are highly damaging and knowing the science behind that and why I have so much nerve pain and arthritis and all of these things because my body never had an opportunity to heal. It was always just being mediated through numbing agents. And those numbing agents came with uh, chemicals that not only uh, weren't addressing the injury outside of inflammation and some, you know, drugs, um, but the aftermath of working those things through your kidneys and liver and everything else to have proper body function, which speaks to your immune system and your central nervous system to help dictate healing and and, and really empower that uh, fully to where your body can recover and and kick in natural growth hormones and uh, all of these other things uh, that can go to your body naturally if you allow your body to to heal, um, it was being preyed upon by these pharmaceuticals and these opiates that are proven statistically and in science to be 
just damaging as all can be uh, towards joints and nerves and and your your function and your body and everything you know i was losing everything not just my mind my physical body was deteriorating from these pills from all these pills right and it wasn't until i committed to understanding cannabis and exploring that fully that it was manifest to me that my body can heal itself much better through natural remedies and uh you know again not just cannabis stuff but but through cannabis in as a medicine i've learned and understand this now that it it goes to interact with you know my body more than anything to help turn on those receptors that direct healing in your body so you know when you take a pain a pain medication it's designed to go to your cannabinoid system and your immune system and your central nervous system to uh direct your body on to send those receptors to this certain area and for this injury, where it's anti-inflammatory, sleep aid, whatever, it's trying to manipulate your body to uh, react differently, react to dictate where your receptors are sent uh, to induce uh, some type of, of event or recovery from an injury right. um, or an illness. And uh, cannabis works directly with that. There's nothing on the planet that speaks more to your immune system and your central nervous system in helping turn it on to where it then will send not just a directive to go, go fix your knee, you know, go fix inflammation, go fix... Uh, you know, muscle soreness, whatever. This is something that interacts with your cannabinoid system that dictates your immune system and your central nervous system in your body, like a lock and key. And that's what the science says about this. Uh, it is not my story because my story will just prove it to you and how I look and how I feel um, that I can't deny it. Uh, but the science will back that up in that this fires that up and directs your body to heal itself completely. Every area, it directs your body to start healing itself. It starts firing your, your, your hormones again. Everything else starts firing again on all cylinders instead of these pills that are trying to dictate what to do and mediate your situations specifically with all of these other side effects from the chemicals having to go through your system. You know, I mean, I got, I got family members, I grew up Mormon. And so all my, you know, my family's just hardcore and I got family members that, um, have just taken their prescriptions over the years for anxiety or blood, you know, thinning agents or whatever, because of blood pressure medications or, you know, whatever, instead of addressing these things through talking to people about what they eat and what they're doing and saying, look, man, I'm not going to prescribe you these medicines because long-term use is really going to damage your system um, and potentially cause this, this, and the other to, to happen in your body to fail you. Um, uh, you need to really, let's work towards no more Cokes, no more uh, eating gluten or whatever it might be that uh, is causing these disruptions in your body that right. this medication will mediate and mask for you so you can keep doing all these things that you want to do and not change your lifestyle, which is what needs to happen. Right. Um, and I've got family members that are now at the age of all that, you know, long-term use of just taking the, the, the prescribed dose and their kidneys and livers are failing and they're getting these diseases that they shouldn't be getting. They've lived healthy lives. They've been, you know, they're not 
fat, obese, or anything, and they've just done what people have told them, and they attribute those things directly to those medications and long-term use. Yeah, it's crazy to see like what these pills do. So I'd go back. Like yeah. yeah, I'd yeah. go back and take what I know dealing with pain and injury through cannabis, and I guarantee you I would not feel the way I feel physically today, um, and I would have recovered much faster and you're going to we're going to all see that and that's what's going to happen with this you know the players associations come out recently um and said they're going to you know offer up a uh, a new plan in dealing with cannabis and um you know players with serious injuries uh that that uh, would rather use cannabis than than opiates to deal with that um and that's all that needs to happen because you're going to see very quickly those players recover much faster than what has happened with opiates. Right. Um, and um, because it's so advanced, you know, these guys, they think, oh, we're just going to allow a few players to smoke weed. Like, no, there's so much science out there that it's, you don't have to smoke it anymore. And there's such an advancement. And when you're dealing with professional athletes at the top tier now, and they're going to be allowed to do this, you're going to have the best companies in the country that are advanced on this science of cannabis. Go to these players and say, start taking this, start taking that. This is what you need to take for this. This is what you need to take for that. Blah, 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 blah. And these players are going to just be light years uh, uh, beyond of what we could imagine in career uh, length, in my opinion, and recovering from injury. Cool. I'm... And aftermath, you know, more importantly, right. the neurological aftermath. Our government owns a patent on this as a neuroprotectant. They don't, own, they don't own a patent on any other medication that I was prescribed to deal with these neurological injuries as a uh, neuroprotectant. But they do on cannabis, ironically enough. Interesting. <laughs> There's Uncle Sam again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, couple two questions to, to wrap it up. So now that you're coaching, um, how do you approach coaching your athletes differently than your coaches might have coached you in terms of like making the game safer to play like you talked about the Oklahoma drills and these like unnecessary yeah. inside run drills like what influence do you want to have as a coach um for your your current team um just uh, basically just going and adding my little tidbits to what was given to me you know I mean I had great coaches we talked about that um you know for my coach in college who prepared me for the NFL and I never had a I had one coach that maybe was as good as he was, you know. I mean, like, in terms of health and safety, like, in terms of technique, like, instead of using your face as, like, a weapon, you know. Nah, man. You know, that's the thing. People would sit here they all, all the time. People think that I've got these genius ways to fix football. And there is no way. Right. There's, football, no, yeah. there's no way to change the game. It's going to happen. And I would rather play it exactly how I played it and maybe not some of the extracurricular things, you know, I, but those rules changed and you can't just run around and light people up away from the ball no more and how you used to, you know, you had to keep your head on a swivel all the time back when I played because there were rules that didn't exist. Right, you just get decleted. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, just out of nowhere. You just you, If you weren't looking, man, you were getting decleted. 
Okay, so you got to, as soon as that ball's got, you got to have your head on a swivel and you're either running downfield and you got to keep peripheral open because you could be getting checked from, the ball could be 50 yards down the field and, and you'd be standing around thinking, I'm safe, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, like what happened to Jim McMahon, uh, you know, they keep showing that. I mean, uh, for his career, that, those things happen all the time. And I was usually the guy doling it out. I put dudes out of games standing around piles, you know. So I, extracurricular stuff I could have done without. But the game's changed and the rules have changed for that. Outside of that, there's nothing that needs to change about football, you know, because the game is the game. And, you know, certain plays and things like that uh, um, have been, you know, like uh, formations and rules around like kickoff and stuff. Like you used to have the wedge, you know, right. and they don't do that anymore. That's good. I was you in know? the wedge. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, bad. And uh, that was getting guys concussed like crazy and um, putting guys out of games constantly. Um you know, and that's changed. So, but at the end of the day, when you're tackling, nothing's changed. You should be putting your head in uh, uh, in front and tackling with your shoulder pads. But that doesn't happen all the time. You know, so when I coach and I talk to these players, you know, I just tell them straight up, this is the most dangerous game you could possibly have chosen to play. You have to be fully committed and and you must play it all out, every play, to give yourself the best opportunity to walk off of this field every day. Because at any moment, it, it can happen if you're not paying attention. That's how dangerous this game is. Yeah, you know, from, you know, what, what didn't keep, what kept me from playing football till my senior year wasn't concussions back then. Right. I watched on TV Dennis Bird get fully paralyzed from coming around the end and, and running into his own guy meeting at the quarterback and he can't walk no more. That was kind of scary, you know? So I didn't play football. All these buddies. I, I was on the field when Eric Legrand got uh, paralyzed. There you go. I mean, you know, uh, um, Corey Stringer up in Minnesota before concussions were an yeah, issue. Stroke, My yeah. buddy was on that team on that old line and it was like, this happened. Like, I was like, geez, you know, like you knew. I mean, I had guys in high school why I didn't play as well. They were, had broken arms and legs and they get casts and knee surgeries and their eyes. I'm like, I don't want to go do that. Concussions just became finally exposed. Um, but the game itself has, uh, you know, a thousand ways to die, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, they need to make a, a movie about that, <laughs> right. you know, uh, in football. I mean, because that can happen. And, uh, um, and it happens at the youth level, you know. We know more things now. Um, and so I don't believe tackle football should be played at certain ages um, because of the statistics that show there is a death rate and there's a paralyzation rate um, at the youth level. And so, and that's due to the science of understanding the undeveloped skeletal system and still developing brain that is highly sensitive. Right. And so, you, you know, in ignoring that science, uh, you know, we're doing a disservice to the game and we need to revamp youth football and not allow that to take place because kids are dying. And it's a guarantee that 20 of them will die this football season in America because of tackle football, period. Yeah, I mean, I was almost one of those statistics too. Yeah, so. exactly. exactly. Yeah, something definitely has to change. Something's yeah. got to change with that, but I wouldn't go back and change anything. And I tell my players, you have to play this game as violently as possible. This is the most dangerous game. It's the only way to give yourself the best chance to get off this field every day. All right, and if and this is America, and we need to accept those things and look towards solutions to deal with and mediate injury and illness, in period in our country, but in sports with injury, 
you know, what is the right medications to give to these injuries and what are the proper protocols that we need to put in place to make sure that we can better the outcomes. And actually execute. Exactly, because yeah. these things can be changed. How many kids in America will be saved this football season if they implement code brain? The same thing that stroke patients get to enjoy, you know? We got these young kids in your situation, and that happened, and you're on the sideline going in. That, I mean, you should have been life flighted from that. Field. I was actually. You yeah. were. So they. My athletic trainer called. She noticed. What I year was, was this? 2007. Okay, so right there was the right when they're starting to understand this. But you're you, you're lucky where you were. For sure, yeah. Because you would have been anywhere else. Yeah, probably. my athletic trainer actually could. She noticed that I had a gaze towards like the right side, so she knew I had a brain bleed. Yeah. Called for a helicopter. I had a seizure airlifted wow. but i honestly credit her for like saving my life if you wouldn't add her which very f we don't even have trainers at rcc what no are you not kidding one. me not one because that's... we're not in season oh that's a joke like protocols and the whole thing and addressing this this deal is just falling silent on these people that's crazy you know that that are in charge of policy and charge of rules and um it is it's so frustrating. I'm getting water for the team because the trainers at the schools are directed to not deal with us right now because we are not in season. Yeah, okay, they're literally sitting in the training room and we're at practice and players have been hurt and we've told them to go in and grab some ice and get it wrapped on your knee. That's messed And they up. refuse them. I feel like that's like a liability. I know. It should be. Yeah. And I bet if I called probably uh, some organization, they would come down and it would be a liability. But the point is that still, that's going on. Right. And that's going on all over America. People because, still don't get it. Because of the NFL's ignorance and, and uh, uh, neglect on this issue and uh, inability and, and the non-desire to lead on the issue and only follow. Just like their stance on marijuana and dealing with players and injury, it's always to follow what our doctors say. Well, I, 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 I met your doctors personally. I've sat down with their doctors personally especially the ones dealing with neurological injuries. And those were the guys that prescribed me all those psych meds that made me want to kill myself and everybody else. Right. And those are the ones who are advising the commissioner on that they shouldn't, you know, change their policy on marijuana right now, even though our government owns a patent on it as a neuroprotectant because they still don't want to acknowledge that football causes traumatic brain injury. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. So to, ra yeah, so to wrap up the interview, um, can you just tell the audience like where they could follow you on social media and like what you're up to with NeuroArmor and any other organizations you're involved with? Sure. Um, yeah, follow me online on you know Instagram, Twitter, Kyle Turley or Kyle underscore Turley, whatever. I'll link it up. Yeah, and um, yeah, I work with Mike Ditka still on uh, the Gridiron Greats charity, you know, gridirongreats.org, and um, uh, got a tremendous program that they're trying to implement. It's the most difficult thing in the world to try and get people to help retired football players that they think all have a money tree growing in their backyard. Right. Um, and uh, don't understand that, uh, you know, these, these uh, bulletproof individuals are now just broken and completely uh, uh, disabled and, and not able to live life uh, hardly at all. Um, and there's just so many serious cases with that, and we're doing our best to try and help that situation because the NFL doesn't seem to really want to address that either. Um, and then, um, yeah, NeuroArmor, man, CBD. I, I came upon this stuff. Um, 
at one of these conventions after I had an experience with certain strains of marijuana that really manifested to me that were highly medicinal um, and, and, and just allowed me to free myself from pills. And then I went to all these different conventions to tell my story because um, I felt that was important to do and not just leave this conversation to be controlled by the reefer madness and hippie crowd that every you know has ruined our perceptions on this yeah, the, stigma, the potential yeah. of what cannabis can offer us in healing and health and um, uh, I found these guys that were just so far ahead of research and development with this this plant and uh, they were exposing this CBD um, you know stuff that uh, the, the extract uh, of cannabis that is deri- derived still even just from hemp you know there's non-psychoactive all these things something you can use every day all day if you needed to legal in all states legal yeah. all states you know and um, and I said you know what I gotta I gotta get involved in this uh, and you know because going to these places and these conventions you see all the yeah, you know, they're everybody. It's it's a a lifestyle to some, um, you know, many in the industry, and they parade that around, and it's not something that's acceptable to the general society, you know. And so I knew that I had to put a, a the, the right name around this, the right um, um, you know message around this, and image to get this to the public because you know, you know, Johnny's. Hemp juice, you know, is yeah, or not, not cutting whatever, it. you know, or uh, right. you know, uh, whatever, you know. And I and so I came up with neural armor, and um, I I coined the phrase cognitive therapy evolved. Um, that was my my thing, and, and, and I what helped, you helped develop yeah. the, the logo and everything. But cognitive therapy evolved, C T E, and we need to have an answer for C T E because there is none. And the government's patent on cannabis as a neuroprotectant speaks to that answer. And I firmly believe through my personal experience that cannabis will save football and allow us to play it like it should be played and get back to the game like we love um, and mediate and deal with all these injuries that happen uh, in a much better way and, and a way that will save lives, not just... You know, you, you you look at Luke Keekley out there on the field sitting down crying. Oh, yeah, that was hard to watch, yeah. And and all he needed was what I've seen personally in some of these seizure kids with a nasal spray that, that has a reaction in like 20 seconds. He would have been stopped crying. Not only he would have stopped crying, he would have got his cognition back and been able to likely go back to the sideline and, and not go back to participate in the game, but be completely conscious and there and coherent right and and or just back to the training room and then and then back and allowed to play in you know a couple in a week or so like shorter recovery shorter recovery times for neurological injuries and concussions 100 percent, and finally something to stop that's what the science is saying that this could stop the progression of cte because the science says it could stop the progression of alzheimer's and alzheimer's is a, a disease and its symptoms but these disease and symptoms are caused by tau protein buildup that is massetizing and covering your brain. And that's what you see on these basic MRI scans of this blurred mass. Right. You know? When I went back to that hospital in Nashville, when my son busted his eye open and he had to get stitches, they scanned his brain just because he had a head injury. And that's what cut his eyes. He fell off the couch and he split his head open as he hit the table. And... The hospital went on full alert, and they ran to my wife and told her, the ambulance is on its way. We're going to take him downtown to uh, Vanderbilt immediately to their 
children's neurological unit. He's going to be fine. My wife's like, what are you talking about? And he's totally fine. He's yeah. just getting the stitches. And, and they're like, his brain scan. Uh, there's something seriously wrong with his brain. And my wife goes, what are you? And she's like, and then she just stopped. And she goes, uh. looking at the wrong scan. She goes, what scan do you got? And they're like, oh, Turley, right here. And she goes, K, that's my husband's brain. Right. Damn, that's... <laughs> and, they, and I'm standing right next to her when they said that to her. And, uh, and, and they just went like this. The doctors went, okay, all right. Oh, football, right. That's, yeah, that's it's pretty... like they were sending the ambulance to come get my son from the hospital because right, he has what severe, severe like. traumatic brain injury. That's insane. Yeah, but they don't want to acknowledge that. They don't want to see that CTE is living in a brain. And so what that can do is stop that disease in its tracks from even starting. Cool. I'm, I'm excited to see where that's going to go. Yeah, um, no doubt. I, I thought of one more thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is, is, are we still good on time? Yeah, I'm good, man. I like I, I went <laughs> way over. but yeah. uh, So with the music thing, how did that – like do you recommend that athletes pick up like an art or some form of identity outside of the game while you're still playing? Or like, is that even possible? Uh, well, my music was, for me, was always just a release. I was just always in, I love music, you know, ever since, uh, I was a kid and just didn't want to listen to music. I, although, I mean, that's how it starts, but like, how do they do that? You know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, when I got to San Diego state, Marshall Fogg was a first round draft pick. And I looked, and I was like, I can do that. You know, I can make that happen. And I looked at music the same way. Like, I wanted to learn how to play guitar. I want to learn how to play the drums. That looks so cool to be able to make those sounds, you know. And you start when you're a little kid, you know, with your hand, you know, just drumming, air drumming and, you know, air guitar. And what right. is that like? And so, you know, having time on your hands in football actually drove that. Um, because when you're when you're sitting idle and you're just down, you know, downtime, um, you know, I, I'm an active person. I wasn't a guy that took naps, you know, Me either, in yeah. between practices, you know, I couldn't do that. I felt like I felt worse when I woke up from a nap, um, and just was more depressed about having to go back to practice. <laughs> and it was the same day and the sun's still up, you know? Right. And, um, so I was always up. And so every team I was on, I went and rented all the music equipment, uh, drums, bass, guitar, keys, uh, the whole thing, vocals, and um, whatever else from the music store locally in town, wherever we had training camp, wherever we were in Wisconsin or in Louisiana or up in uh, Missouri and, and Illinois there with uh, the Rams training camp or um, with the, the Chiefs. You know, I always rented a room, asked the coaches for a room in the dorms and, and went and rented all the music equipment for a full band because I knew that there was guys that had that same interest and probably came from similar backgrounds and it was always true. It was always the case, man. And we'd have jam sessions down in these rooms, you know, and it was like the whole prison prison <laughs> band, you know, and uh, uh, it was really cool. So it was always a release, you know, something to take yourself away because the game is, is – uh, you have a passion for it, a love for it, but there's a hate for it, you know, as well because of, of how hard it is and uh, what it uh, 
does to you physically, you right. know, and so you have to escape from that to rebuild that love, you know, to, to, you know, you, it, it's like a relationship, you know, when you're just like, you've been with it for so long and you're just like, I hate these things about you. And you have to just kind of get away and clear your mind and, 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 and remind yourself of that passion again, when you wake up in the morning, not that you've dwelled on it all night long and you wake up again for practice, like, Oh, you right. know, I was always waking up from ready for the next day because I knew once I was done with practice, I had something to go and hang out and do. And it was fun and, you know, could take my mind away from it. When I was at San Diego state, it was surfing, you know, after practice was over, I had my board in the car, the beach was 30 minutes, 20 minutes away. And I could be in the water before sunset and catch 10 waves before I came back and had to go to study hall. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, and, and that was to free my mind away from, you know, not just football, but just life and the struggles, you know. Yeah, I love you gotta that. You got to do that. Yeah. I think for me, I used to, like, go fishing. Yeah. Like, after practice or before practice or something. That was, like, yep. my release. So, I yep. love that. It's really exactly. cool. Thanks a lot, Kyle, for sharing your story. Thank you, and man. I appreciate you welcoming to your your home to do <laughs> no the problem. recording. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's an honor. Yeah, you got it, man. I, I appreciate what you do and uh, uh, enjoy, uh, you know, uh, supporting anything that's going to continue that conversation of how we can uh, fix football and make it better. You know, it's uh, that's what it's about, you know, making this life better. And I've got a young son and I really uh, appreciate your platform for him to be able to come back and listen to this when he's, you know, older and uh, able to understand things, you know, and if he comes on that and how many other kids are going to listen to this uh, or parents that are going to listen to this and, and be educated and, and love football still and want to keep going, uh, but make it better. Right. You know, that's what it's about. I appreciate it. Thank right, you. Right on, brother.